This is a crowd podcast. Everything in life is prey. Everything. I'm just a predator that hunts predators. And I just happen to be really good at my job. And I mean really good at it. That's how this all started. It wasn't because I was like, oh, I'm going to go out and kill these people and bust their bodies up and fuck them up. No, it happened because somebody's like, you find people for a living. Can you find my child? Please. And I was like, yes, I will. Hello, I'm Sam Walker, and I live in the United States, but I'm clearly not from here. I moved from the UK a couple of years ago with my family, and since then I've come to know about certain people who, let's just say, sort things out. Whether that's a financial problem, a row with your neighbour, or something much bigger, like your child being abducted. We have a 100%, 100% success rate since I started this. This is KC. That's how I know him anyway. He's an American vigilante. Rescuing children is kind of his thing. That's our big drum that we beat. But we also provide resolution for people who can't get it through conventional law enforcement. So I've just met KC for the first time on a Zoom call. I think the thing that really struck me about him is he's really smart. He's really considered and measured in what he says. If you can find out where they're sleeping or who they're fucking, you're going to catch them every time. It's that simple. I don't know really what I expected. I kind of didn't expect that. There is that bit of me that goes, what if he's the world's greatest actor? What if all of this is made up? What if... He's constructed this persona. I mean, stranger things have happened, right? It's not beyond the realms of possibility. I also wonder if I'm opening a door to a world that I can't ever close again. But I'm also really intrigued. I'm intrigued to know about this other world. I don't doubt that people like him exist, but do I want to lift the lid on that world? Do I want to know more? You right now, Sam, no more than the woman that I was married to for a very long time about me. This is the first time that all this is being talked about. So why are you talking to me? I'm here because I think that by telling our story finally, I think that there's going to be people out there that are going to realize that there's people like me and my team that will hunt you down and make you stand before God for what you did. This is episode two, The Wrong Suspects. You said that you speak Spanish. I know a lot of people in the States grow up learning Spanish, maybe because of the area of the country that they grew up in. What was it for you? I'm a first-generation American. My mother's uh, Mexican and Comanche Indian. So I grew up eating my share of tortillas and tamales. And my father is also what would be considered in the U.S. as a minority. But what's incredible is our parents never raised us that way. They raised us to be Americans. I'm not Native American. I'm not. I'm an Indian. I'm a Comanche Indian. You know, I'm not Mexican-American. I'm an American. Uh, My grandfather uh, served in World War II. That's where he got his citizenship. Fiercely proud I mean, he served on the beaches in Normandy. He was an incredible man. He loved this country. And my my grandmother wasn't even here. In fact, my mother was born coming into the U.S. So, I mean, I'm just trying to tell you that my family's earned its stripes, and everybody on both sides of my family served in the military. I mean, we love our country, but we're all Americans. That's something you're really proud of. That's really obvious. Yep. I mean, my mother never would even register us with the tribe. She said, you're going to learn to stand on your own two feet and work for a living. She goes, you're not going to be raised in a in a little small area that this is your home. She goes, this country's your home. So if I'm describing what you do to a bunch of people, there is a word that a lot of people would jump back with, which is vigilante. 
How do you feel about that word? Well, personally, it's just a word that means a person that will take the law into their own hands when it's necessary. Now, I don't know what the dictionary calls it, and a lot of people hear a word vigilante and just think that that's a thug. You know, people that go around doing crazy bad things with no real law. And you know, some people might describe me that way. Well, I'm not a brainless thug. I'm not a person that just goes out rampantly doing things that I shouldn't do. But as you said, that's people's perception, isn't it? That's what you're saying. You, you, you're saying some people perceive it as that. You asked about a dictionary definition. The dictionary definition, the Oxford Dictionary, says a vigilante is a member of a self-appointed group of citizens who undertake law enforcement in their community without legal authority, typically because the legal agencies are thought to be inadequate. That's you, right? Well, that's where you look at legal authority, right? So define legal authority. In legal authority in the United States, you have a constitution, right? That constitution is written and supported for the people. The people enact the lawmakers. The lawmakers are supposed to write the laws to protect the people. So what do you do when the lawmakers aren't protecting the people? Or when bad people are doing bad things and are not being brought to justice? So tell me about the wrong suspects. Wrong suspect. That's a horrific story. Real briefly, it was uh, two parents. Um, child was taken, and law enforcement was investigating them instead of looking for the child. Um, horrific experience for any, any family. So uh, it started, I was actually uh, I was at a barbecue. Big get-together at my house. You know, family, nice day. Dogs playing, kids with squirt guns, uh, picnic tables, two of them, long ones, full of food, and a pager went off. The call came from Bearback, he's one of my team guys. He had been gotten hold of through three different parties. Somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody that knew him. And I looked at it and I thought, shit, really? Right now? I mean, <laughs> potato salad was on the table and that's like my favorite thing, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there cooking these ribs, so, you know, I called one of my family members over and he took over the grill and I got into the house and made a call and uh, found out that a little girl had been taken. She was five years old, taken, I guess, from directly out of the house. Uh, the mother was in the house. He goes, the father was gone to work and you, you need to talk to them. And I'm like, well, how long ago did this happen? He goes, well, more than two days ago. And I'm like, more than two days ago, the girl was taken? He's like, yeah. Typically, after two days, the kid's either dead or really been hurt. Uh, four days, you probably never see him again. So now I'm just like, holy crap, a thousand miles away from these people. And typically, I meet people face to face. You know, it's a way of vetting them, body language, looking at their responses. So I called this number. The phone rings, and a man answers the phone. I explained to him who I was. He hands the phone to a woman. She's obviously been crying, like, a lot. And, uh, I told her, I said, look, I need you to pull yourself together. I need to talk to you. So I need you right now to go leave your house, buy a prepaid cell phone. I gave her a phone number, and I said, you're going to call this number. I said, you got less than an hour. I said, otherwise, I'm not going to help you. It wasn't even an hour later. She calls. I says, uh, I need to know the truth. If you killed her, I don't care. I said, do I care really? Yeah. I said, but this is your chance for me not to get involved with you. I said, because if you contract me and I start looking for your daughter, I said, and I will find her. I said, and I find out you and your husband had anything to do with it. I said, I swear to God, I'll kill you and your husband. I'll burn your fucking house to the ground. And she started sobbing and crying. And she goes, I'm on my knees. And she was begging me. She goes, please help me find my daughter. She goes, I swear to you. She goes, I swear to God, me and my husband had nothing to do with it. And I believed her. It's the first time ever that I accepted a case not meeting with the family. But because it had already been... 49 hours at that point, 50 hours. I mean, that's a big deal. It, time is like so sensitive. And she goes, well, well how much is it going to cost? And I, I told her what, what our fee is. And she's like, I can't afford it. And I'm like, I don't want you to worry about that right now. I said, I'm, I'm going to get on this. 
I said, I've got wheels turning. I've got to go. If I call you, you answer this damn phone. And so I immediately called up Murph. And I told him, I was like, hey, I got a potential case. Uh, do you want in? And he's like, fuck yeah, I want in. What the fuck you think I'm doing? No, no, I'm sitting around with my thumb in my ass. And I told him, I was like, look, you're the closest one to that area. I need you to go start developing leads. And he goes, well, uh, where do you want me to go? And I'm like, well, I said, that's not my problem. I had contacted Casper. Casper's our uh, computer guru. And uh, I told him, I said, Casper's going to be developing some leads too. I said, just get hot on it. I said, I'm going to roll your way. So I grabbed my bag, hopped in the war wagon, patted my pit bulls on the ass, and off I went. What's the war wagon? Uh, the war wagon is a SUV, um, tinted windows, big tires. Engine is performance. It's turbocharged uh, diesel engine. Uh, has compartmentalized rear end in the back for a lot of different inventories of things, whether it be weapons, food, medical gear, and it's got the ability to transport prisoners very securely in the back. It's set up specifically for long range and surveillance. Uh, it still gets up and goes. It still moves just fine. But it's outfitted more to be able to be for long term. Tell me about Merv. Tell me how you met him. Oh my God, Murphy. <laughs> Murphy is like Murphy is like a plague that you fall in love with. I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, when I first met this guy, holy crap. So I've got a friend that I'd known for, I don't know, 10 years. I'd even been in business with him a little bit. He had told me one day, he goes, hey, he goes, I got this friend that really wants to meet you. And I'm like, why? He goes, well, he wants to do what you do. And I go, oh, he does, does he? And he goes, yeah. And, you know, over the years I've taken, oh, I don't know, 200 or 300 people roughly under my wing one way or another, seeing if they'd fit into the team. God, I didn't know what I was signing up for with this one. Let me tell you, this was something else. He shows up <laughs> with this bright <laughs> orangish, pinkish, reddish mohawk that's like <laughs> five inches long. I mean, this guy's like, <laughs> he's big. I mean, he's he's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and, <laughs> and we sit down at this restaurant, we start talking. And, uh, you know, I gave him the questions. I'm like, do you drink? Do you smoke? He's like, well, I like my beer, but, you know, I don't smoke. And I was like, well, you can't drink. And he goes, at all? I'm like, nope. Not even on the weekends? I'm like, nope. And he's like, well, why? I said, if we're out in the woods and we're going after somebody and they've got dogs, the dogs are going to smell that beer. They're going to smell that smoke. I'm like, it's bad enough. We're going to smell like cheeseburgers and teriyaki. I was like, those are things that compromise you. The other thing they do is they change your mental state. You know, you start getting aggressive. If you have a nicotine fit, I don't need that. I said, I need somebody that's cool hand Luke. I need you to be calm and smart. Okay, I can do that. So I end up taking him under my wing and... <laughs> When somebody new comes on, we call them cherry. You know, they're the new guy. They're the cherry. And most of my cherries end up getting a handle bestowed to them sometime in the next four to seven months. Not Murphy. Murphy was cherry for two and a half years. <laughs> he was good. He'd do whatever I tell him. But, man, he was just thick. <laughs> but once you got it into him, he had it. And he was dedicated. And he's the most loyal team member He's, he's earned his stripes. He's saved my life more times than I can tell you. He's been out with me, you know, doing surveillance, and we'd be there the next morning, and there'd be we'd be up under a bush, and there'd be snow three inches deep across our legs from the waist down. He's resilient, he's intelligent, he's tough, and he's compassionate. And he doesn't take shit from anybody. But at the same time, he'd give you the shirt off his back. You love him. He's a brother. I love him. He's a good man. So anyway, I had made it uh, two, three hundred miles, and I get a call from uh, Murphy, and he had managed to develop a lead, him and Casper. And the lead had been video footage from a business, and it had showed that the wife repeatedly had went to this business every day at a certain time. And it showed in her phone call logs and everything that this was a location where she was at quite a bit. Casper pulled up the video footage and on a pure fluke, 
uh, noticed that there was a, a man that was interested in, you know, the woman and the little girl. And you want to talk about a thin, and I mean razor, thin lead. So what they did is they used the video footage again and tracked the guy, got his address, Murph developed that lead, and went over to the house. And he, of course, broke into the house and he started searching. Didn't know what he was looking for, just trying to find anything. And what he ended up finding was a bunch of kid porn on the computer, photos and things like that of, you know, children. Murphy, Murphy goes outside and gets the garbage, the big garbage can that's outside. And this can is big, but he manages to get it through the door and into the house in the back, and he brings it into the living room and just dumps it. And he ends up finding a map and theme parks, like, you know, where you would take kids and all this stuff. Now, mind you, all the pictures that are in this house are just this guy. You know, he's on a boat partying with people, you know, he's out doing this, that. There's no pictures of children on the walls. There's no pictures of his family. It's just him. And uh, as Murphy finishes going through the garbage and he's managed to get a handful of different leads, the door makes a sound and he hears the lock turning. So he steps over behind the door and this guy walks in. It's not the guy, but it's a guy. And the guy's wearing a really nice suit. And he sees the, the kind of mess around the corner. He goes, who the hell are you? And Murphy goes, oh, I'm a friend of... Let's call the guy Jake. I'm a friend of Jake's. He goes, well, wh what are you doing here? He goes, well, he sent me over to pick up some stuff, and Murph holds up some papers. <laughs> he goes, well, if you're all right with Jake, you're all right with me. He goes, uh, I I've just got to get some things off the computer. <laughs> Wrong fucking thing to say to Murph. <laughs> I'm telling you right there, boy. He knew right immediately that guy was a piece of shit. Murph ends up taking him down, you know, gets him wrapped up like a gumball machine with, uh, tape around his body and the guy kind of comes to <laughs> and there's Murph standing over him with a three liter bottle of cola <laughs> and he goes I'm going to ask you a few questions he goes and you're going to answer me and the guy's like who the fuck are you and starts cussing at him and Murph stuffs a rag in his mouth so he'd already beat the crap out of the guy pretty good knocked him unconscious the guy's taped to a board upside down he starts pouring coke in his face you know they call it waterboarding I guess but Waterboarding's for rookies. If you use Coley, it really leaves an impression, let me tell you. So the guy, he ends up coming around our way of thinking and starts kind of trying to talk a little bit. But he's not saying exactly what Murphy wants. So Murphy goes over to, he saw a junk drawer when he was searching the kitchen and there's some pliers and channel locks in there. And he got a pair of channel locks and applies it to the man's testicle. And he says, I'm only going to ask you one more time to tell me the truth. And he kind of squeezed a little bit. Well, the guy started singing like a canary. He knew this guy was going to be going to this certain theme park. But he didn't know for sure. But he knew he was going to be heading east. That was all we had. Hmm. Okay. That was essentially based on a hunch. It was a good hunch. And yet, essentially, what you did has been deemed torture. Right? You've got to, you fucking you, right. You've got to have a... Pretty I damn found child porn. We found child porn on a computer and pictures of naked children in compromising positions in the garbage. That guy was a piece of shit, even if we were wrong. Yeah, I got no sleep lost over that. Fuck him. Fuck every one of these guys that are hurting little children like that. I hope they all wake up fucking face down a bowl of Cheerios with a banana in their fucking ass. That's my thoughts on that. Can you tell I'm passionate about that <laughs> stuff? I can so Murphy left him alive. He didn't kill him, nothing. He just left him sitting there with, you know, a burning nostrils and feeling like he was going to be drowning coke, taped to an ironing board. And uh, he got hold of me, and I told him, I'm like, okay. I said, get Casper on what you've got right now. I said, we're going to need any video feeds, whatever. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the cops and see if we can get any leads. So I called the local law enforcement agency. And I said, hey, I've been contracted to recover and transport this child. I says, I'm just wondering, I said, if you've been able to develop any information. I said, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. He goes, I need your name and your date of birth and all this. And I'm just like, this is why they haven't found the child yet. I mean, want my name and date of birth means he wants to run me because he's considering me a suspect because I'm contacting him about the case. Well, I don't have time for that. I said, you're not doing your job. Casper got on the thing, hacked into the database of law enforcement, and he found out they had developed a couple leads, but they hadn't really pursued them yet. 
uh, they were still hard, hard, hard on the parents, which was obvious because the parents had had their some of their assets frozen. They couldn't use certain things. There was a police car stationed outside their house, and they'd been repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly, had people showing up to interrogate them, asking them the same questions over and over. It was very obvious to them that they were the suspects. And when somebody's developing and creating that kind of manpower on the suspects, that means they're not looking for the child. Now, mind you, we're two days behind, right? Almost three. This stuff that happened that I'm telling you about, this all happened within like a five to six hour period. So now, now we're looking at about 56 hours. That is a long time for a child to be gone and expect that you're not going to be hurt or dead. What's your relationship with the police? Well, they love me or hate me. I have done work for law enforcement in the past. It's not work that would be considered above board, you know. I've been contracted by law enforcement agencies uh, to take care of some things that couldn't be handled before. Is that something that would be in public record? I doubt it. (laughs) In the story you've just told me, you said that you spoke to that one officer and you asked him point blank, what have you got? What leads do you have? I've been hired by these people. Throw me a bone, you know, get me up to speed. And they refuse to speak to you. Is that sort of the general line of the police? Is that normally the response you would get? I'm trying to get an idea of how you fit in with their notion of investigation. Well, in that instance, I don't hold that officer accountable because he has a protocol. Law enforcement has a book they've got to follow. You know, there's a, for lack of a better thing to say, there's a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that's got boxes on it. And they have to check those boxes. Right. So if what they're doing doesn't fit within those boxes, they can't do it. It's that simple. Is it commonly known within law enforcement that people and groups like you exist, Casey? Well, as a majority, I'd say cops hate people like me. I mean, I'm, for lack of a better thing to say, Vigilante justice wasn't my intention when this started. It really wasn't. But, you know, how in the hell am I supposed to tell a a woman and a man that I can't go get their kid back when I know that I can? Right? That's how this all started. It it wasn't because I was like, oh, I'm going to go out and kill these people and bust their bodies up and fuck them up. No, it happened because somebody was like, you find people for a living. Can you find my child? Please. And I was like, yes, I will. So here's what's going on in my head, and possibly your head too. However violent or ruthless Casey is, he's got principles. Lots of them. Some of them I actually agree with, and some I definitely do not. In a moment, we'll come back to his story and this phone call. Well, Casper gets what I call a hard contact lead. He gets an actual location on the vehicle by a camera. Casey and Murphy do end up at that theme park. And I ask him about that family barbecue he mentioned at the beginning of the story. American Vigilante continues after this. Hello there, I am Tom Fordyce and I'm one of the producers on American Vigilante. I do hope you're enjoying the series. Now, if you need a break from KC and you're feeling peckish, why not try Factors No Prep No Mess Meals? They're a great way to meet your wellness goals in time for the summer, if it ever arrives, with chef-crafted meals like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Factor always makes fresh meals, never frozen. They're dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. And they taste really good. They've got loads of options from breakfast to dessert. There are 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week. Treat yourself to restaurant quality dishes with premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp and blackened salmon. But all without prep and the cleaning up. Head to factormeals.com slash American50 and use code American50 to get 50% off your first box plus 
20% off your next month. That's code American50 at factormeals.com slash American50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com So, to recap, KC is telling a story he calls the wrong suspects. When he sets off on this journey, KC hopped into a vehicle he's named the War Wagon. But he doesn't like to leave a trail. So somewhere along the way, he switches vehicles. The name of this one? Hammer. Hammer's my truck. Um, it's a turbo diesel. Incredibly well-tuned. It, it's got a crazy amount of power and it's got a huge fuel sink that I mean, I can go coast to coast without even stopping for fuel. And when you add up every time you've got to stop for fuel, it takes 15 minutes. That saves you a significant amount of time when you're traveling. Casey and Murphy meet up at a truck stop and hop into Hammer. More calls from Casper about potential sightings mean so much more driving hundreds of miles back and forth across four states on a wild goose chase, all for Jake, as we know him. And of course, the girl. Now, mind you, neither one of Murphy and I have eaten, drank, nothing. We've just got some bottled water with us that we took and, you know, a few snacks. But we, if you eat, you got to go to the bathroom, right? We don't have time for that. So we don't eat. We're just going. And then another call from Casper. A breakthrough. And we're like, what? What do you got? What do you got? And he goes, well, the good news is I've got a photo from a video camera. The girl is in the SUV. He said, I got a clear picture of her sitting in the back seat in a car seat. He goes, and I can see the guy. So we've got the right lead. But he said, they're now at this theme park, which was, I don't know, from where we were, five hours maybe, four hours. So we hauled ass. We got there. And when we get there, it's about, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Place was already packed. I mean, packed. There was so many cars there, campers, trucks. I mean, it was unreal. And I'm looking at Murph, and he's looking at me, and here we are, there's two of us, and I'm thinking, how in the fuck are we going to find this little girl here? So we're looking for a big black SUV. And we don't have an exact plate, but we do know the state that the plate's from. <laughs> it takes us less than a half an hour, and we find three of them. Two of them are within visual of each other. The other one is, like, way over somewhere else. And this is a huge, huge area. And there's campers and campgrounds and people in the park. And I look at Murph, and I'm just like, holy shit, man. It was hot. It was really hot. And uh, where we had to hang out, there's no shade over on that side. So we were taking turns, rotating out. I told Murphy, I was like, we need to, we need to call the mom. We need to get her here as soon as possible. I said, if we can get her here, and this goes down, I said, the daughter's going to have it a lot easier. So she loaded up, got her husband took her minivan and they went over to visit a friend of hers house and her friend has a garage that goes out toward into an alley and so she borrowed her friend's minivan and then came to see us. About an hour before this, the one black SUV that was the farthest away had a couple, an elderly couple, with two girls go to it. This wasn't ours and we knew it and so we just watched them. They got in there and they left and that made our life easier because now we could see the front of the park and both the other SUVs. So it was about maybe another two hours later, 
A couple comes out, little girl holding onto the dad's finger, and they approach one of the black SUVs. We're just sitting there looking at each other going, oh, thank God. So now the only black big SUV with that plate has got to be the right one. And by now, we were really hot. We hadn't had any sleep. We hadn't really had anything to eat but a couple hot dogs and a few drinks some people had brought us. Well, it wasn't about another two hours. It's getting closer to dusk. The mother shows up. The park security guy had been really cool. Like, really cool. But he was starting to stare at us a little too much, and I didn't need that. So I confided in him and told him why we were there, because he'd ask. He's like, you know, you guys aren't using the park. You know what's going on. Murphy was sitting there smiling, going, yeah, this guy's shitting his pants right now. I just told him, like, you can't contact law enforcement, dude. I'm like, you do, and this whole thing could go bad. I said, he could kill her or something. I said, you need to let me do my job. I said, you can call the police as soon as it happens. I don't care. Do your job. Well, it wasn't, wasn't a half hour later. That motherfucker comes walking out of the park, and the little girl's holding on to his hand, and she's got a, a big old thing of, like a cotton candy in her hand. And, man, Murphy, I swear to God, his, his muscles started bulging, his face turned all purple, and I'm like, dude, calm down. He's like, now? I'm like, no. And there's a big line of people coming out of the park because it was so late. And it was still just dusk. It was barely, I mean, you could see, but not real well. And so he starts walking toward the SUV, and the SUV was kind of parked by some trees, and then there was a tent over on the other side of it. And uh, there was just so many people around, and I'm like, Murph, I said, if he's got a gun, this could go ugly fast. I said, we got to be careful. I said, we need to take him down, but we need to do it quick and clean. I was like, look, I'm going to be drunk. I said, you said he had uh, pictures with him on a boat partying with people? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm going to be his old buddy from the boat. I said, I'm going to approach him straight up. I said, I'm going to be a drunk. I'm going to act like I know him. I said, I need you to come up directly behind him. I said, and by the time you're behind him, he won't even know you're there. And I pulled the mother over and I said, listen to me. I said, you're going to stand by that big tree right there. I said, and you're not going to move until I tell you to. I said, you screw this up. I said, and he's got a gun or a knife. I said, your daughter's dead. I'm going to let him get clear up to that SUV. I said, I'm going to let him put your daughter inside it. Once his door's closed... I need you to open the door on the other side and take your daughter out. I said, the second you get your daughter, I said, you walk to your vehicle, get in it and leave. That's it. I said, there's no crying. There's no hugging. There's no sitting there holding her for five fucking minutes, telling her you love her and you missed her. I'm like, you get her in your arms and get her the hell out of here. I said, you understand that? She's like, I do. I looked at her husband. I said, you too. I said, you got to keep your shit in check. He goes, I'll just, I'll make sure she's okay. I'm like, okay, we'll get one shot at this. So they're getting closer and closer to the SUV. And I started my drunken walk. I started kind of stumbling a little bit. And he's getting close to the SUV, and he put his hand on the door of the SUV. And when he opened the back door, the little girl stand there, and he grabbed her under her armpits, and he set her inside in the car seat. And he clipped her in, and right when he's about to close the door, I was probably maybe 15 feet from him. I was like, oh, Jake, man. I was all, what the fuck are you doing, dude? I said, you remember me, the boat? We were partying? I'm like, remember, man, back in the day, the beers, the babes? And he's like, looks at me kind of stupid and crazy. And I'm like, you know, man, remember the boats tied together? And I mean, I'm shooting from the hip because I don't know if there's boats tied together, but that's what people do when they party, right? And he kind of looks at me and he squints. He holds his finger out and he's like, I, I do remember you. I'm like, yeah, man, fuck yeah, we had lots of beers, bro. And the whole time I'm talking, I'm walking toward him. And I hold out my hand. And as soon as that son of a bitch took my hand, Murphy was right behind him. And I squeezed his hand hard and I pulled him close to me. And Murphy immediately had his hands all over this guy. He's patting him down. And the guy like freaks out. He goes, who the fuck are you? And I'm still holding his hand real tight. And I said, I'm the motherfucker that's here to make sure that everything goes right. And he turns around and his nose smacks Murphy right in the chest. Murphy's a big guy. (laughs) And all Murphy did was look at him and smile. I said, don't do anything stupid. And Murphy goes, please do something stupid. Please. He goes, please do something stupid. The mother had opened the far door, took her daughter out. I heard her daughter say, mommy. And the guy goes, hey. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Because there's people. I'm not kidding you. There is so many people around us, it's unreal. And we were doing all this very calmly. So the mother took the kid. I see him walking away. And I'm like, Murph, you stay with them right now. And I stayed right there with the guy. 
I said, you move, you do one thing. I says, I swear to God, I said, I'm going to turn you into fucking kindling. So Murphy followed him out. I backed away from the guy, went over. We got into the truck, and uh, she got into her van, and we followed her out. And we followed her for the next two, three hours. We got her to the state line. Well, as this had happened at the theme park, the guard had called the police, I guess, or somebody called the police because, you know, they'd seen it go down. And, of course, the mom had called and let a family friend of hers know that she uh, had the little girl back. And all of a sudden, phones were blowing up. You know, her phone was tapped. So she immediately was getting phone calls from the police. (laughs) So Murphy and I were headed over to this big steakhouse we'd saw because we were so hungry and we were going to go have a great big old porterhouse. So Murphy and I sat there having our steak, having a good time. And my phone rings. And she's like, KC, she goes, the police are calling me and they've got a lot of questions. And I'm like, you know what? Give them my number. Again, breaking my own protocol, right? So the detective calls me. Now mind you, this is the detective that I originally called in regards to this whole thing that wouldn't help me. And he goes, I need to know who you are and what happened. And I'm like, are you the fat bastard I talked to on the phone? I said, the bottom line is, if you'd have done your fucking job, I wouldn't have had to fucking do mine. I said, you have a good fucking day. And I hung up the phone. How do you feel telling that story? Angry. Very angry. I feel a lot of empathy. I mean, I can tell you this. To this day, that mother is really messed up. She mentally fractured after getting her daughter back. She still functions. She still loves her daughter and takes care of her. But she is broken mentally because of what happened. Now, mind you, her daughter was never raped. We had stayed on that guy so hard that he didn't have time to stop. And that's what it was. He kept moving around because he was, you know... He wasn't in the right spot, and he, he wasn't comfortable. Whatever happened to that man, Casey? You know, Sam, all that anybody needs to know is that that man will never be a problem for anyone's children ever again. And I can swear to that. And, uh, yeah, closure. At least the mother sleeps at night, but she's she's doesn't trust anybody. She's she's really still freaked out to this day. The little girl's doing awesome. The little girl's doing totally awesome. How much do you keep in touch with the people you've worked with or helped in the past? I don't. Um, I'm a memory of the worst thing that ever happened in a lot of these people's lives. I might be a good part of that, you know. Me and my team are the the ones that gave them peace and brought them back. But at the same time, I'm still part of that memory. And so I've never been one to stay in touch with people. Not that I don't contact them because one of the criteria that I do have for our work is that if I'm going to do this job one day, I'm going to call you and you're going to owe me a favor. And if it's within your ability to grant that favor, then, then you have to do it. There's no exceptions. If I did some work for you, Sam, and I called you one day, Three years after I completed a job and said, Sam, I need your house for a week next month, you would have to say, yeah, I've done that going on 30 years now and I've never had anybody say no. I mean, it sounds daunting to think that you could call me and say, I need your house for a month. I think, man, that's quite a lot to be hanging over you. But what you're saying is once someone's experienced what you've done for them, actually that doesn't become an issue. They're just like, right. I've never had anybody even pause. Yeah. I mean, I've had people before that I call and, and it's we don't use their house to trash it. We don't bring any heat to them. We only use the house as like a staging area or a place to sleep or we'll borrow a vehicle for a couple of days. And even if we borrow a vehicle, we're not using that vehicle for surveillance. We're using it to get to a location and we'll transfer it to another vehicle. It's just we have to have ways of, of moving around without leaving a trail. I mean, it's really hard, especially with what Homeland Security's done. I mean... You know, it's a nightmare trying to move now. It it is. It's a living hell. Hmm. How professional are the people you're hunting? The man who took that little girl because he worked in the business and he saw her coming in several times a week. 
she was his prey. How professional are they? How organized are they? People like that are highly intelligent. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some out there that aren't, some out there that are just sick, twisted, dirty individuals. But there, these people are incredibly intelligent and predatory. I mean, that's what they do. They convince a child that they are safe. They convince the mother that they are safe. They convince the father that they are safe. They embed themselves in a community. They're safe. I mean, they are magicians. They're chameleons. Right. You started off talking about your barbecue you're having with your family and you paint this picture of this great family get-together that everybody listening would have had a family get-together like that if they're lucky. And yet your pager goes and you walk away. What do you tell your family at a time like that? They don't know what you do, right? So what do you tell them is so important that you're leaving this really important family get-together? You know, I left out something pretty important about that whole thing. Maybe I should share it. See, I've got children just like everybody else. And uh, when my pager went off that day, I hadn't been able to spend time with family for a long time. I'd been working a lot. And they do. They wonder what I do at times, but they gave up asking a long time ago. They have their own ideas and things like that. In fact, my mother right now finally knows. I told her about a year ago, and she just smiled at me and said, I knew, son. She goes, I knew. But that day when my pager went off, my little girl started crying. And she begged me not to go. She begged me. And I kneeled down in front of her with everybody around. And I says, I need to tell you something. I said, there's a little girl that was taken from her mommy and daddy. I said, Papa needs to go get her back. And my little girl goes, can't Uncle Bibi and Uncle Murphy go get her, Papa? And I said, yeah, they can. I said, if you want me to stay, I'll stay. I'll send, I'll send somebody else. And I was standing up and she grabbed my finger and pulled me back down. And she goes, Papa. She goes, I need you to tell me the truth. She said, can they find her as good as you can find her? I said, they're really good at their job. And she says, but not as good as you are they. And I said, I don't think so. She looked at me and dried her tears up immediately. And she goes, you go, Papa. She goes, you go get that little girl and you bring her back. And then we'll have our barbecue. The toughest things for me when I had to leave my family. But uh, it was necessary. And that's why I do it. That's why we all do it. Coming up on the next episode of American Vigilante. A door at the other end of the hallway flies open. And there is one of the biggest men I've ever seen. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) He was a freaking moose. And he's got a knife in his hand. There's a family friend that had been trying to get me to uh, come be a cop. So anyway, I went to a police academy. There's two types of people in this world, right? People that put the man on the moon and people that use the metric system. (laughs) You called me something the other day. I got mad at you for it. You told me I was a Native American. I ain't no fucking Native American. I'm a Comanche Indian. Okay? That's what I am. American Vigilante is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Sam Walker. It's produced by Phil Brown and Steve Jones. The executive producer for Crowd is Mike Carr. Associate producer for Stowaway Entertainment is Jeff Singer. The music we use is from our partners, 
BMG production music. If you want another crowd podcast to listen to, try Death of a Rockstar. It's the stories of Kurt Cobain, Whitney Houston, Bob Marley, John Lennon, and more, all told like you've never heard them before. It's a series about being adored by millions, what it feels like, and what it does to you. Go and search for Death of a Rockstar and have a listen. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Come to order. This investigation is convened by Lieutenant General James T. Mattis, commanding officer. I want to tell you a story. May I call your first witness? Yes, sir. Close your eyes. Exposure goes off. Boom! We both yell clear. 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 It's a story about a crime that shocked the world. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And a cover-up that reached into the highest levels of the United States military. Five, six, seven, possibly seven gunshots. It is also a story I recorded in secret. Evidence collected. Departing House 2 at 1555 due to a tactical situation which demands our departure. So join me, Michael Epstein, as I reveal the truth about the longest, most expensive criminal investigation in U.S. military history. Murder in House 2. A 10-part podcast series available right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.
So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us.